1947, a young New Yorker named Glenn Chambers had a lifelong dream to work for God in Ecuador. At the airport on the day of his departure, he wanted to send a note to his mother and he didn't have time to buy her a card. And he noticed a piece of paper on the terminal floor and he picked it up and it turned out to be an advertisement with the word Y, W-H-Y, spread all across it. He took that piece of paper and he scribbled his note around the word Y and he put it in the post box and mailed it to his mother. That night, his aeroplane exploded into the 1,400-foot Colombian peak, El Tablazio. When his mother received the note after the news of his death, the question burned up her from the page. Why? 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 Have you ever asked that? Why? I just really felt led this month to really deal with what I think is something that presses every one of us. And that is, why does God allow suffering? That's what we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. Why does God allow suffering? He's such a God of love, so why the pain? Why the suffering? Why the anguish? Why the terminal? Why someone who has given their life to go on the mission field suffers a fatal accident before their feet even hit? before they fulfill the purpose that they feel that God has for their life. Why, why, why? You know, I know that many of you have asked that and uh, have even lived that. Maybe you're living that right now. Maybe you're in a suffering. Maybe you're in a struggle that really you aren't seeing clear clarity. You're you're kind of fumbling through it and you're, you're struggling. Let's be honest. You're maybe even mad at God. As a result, you're questioning God. You're doubting God. Your faith is running low. Why, why, why? As we look around us, there's a constant confrontation of suffering. Someone wrote these words, and I thought, how true is this? They said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly brings the single greatest challenge to our Christian faith. Let me say that again. The fact of doubting, or the fact of suffering, rather, sorry, undoubtedly brings the single greatest challenge to our Christian faith, and it's been the same through every generation. The amount of suffering, its distribution that seems to be so random and seems to be so unfair. I know when I sat down preparing, I I thought of countless stories that I could have told of struggles and things in my life that I've had to really just trust God through because I didn't see at the time the reasons why. When I first came to America and I lived in Georgia, there was a beautiful lady that was a part of the church there at my grandfather's church. Her name was Miss Alexis. Miss Alexis was that person who was there before anyone else on a Sunday. And she wasn't just there to greet people. She was there praying for people. She was an intercessor. She would be praying for you through the week. That was just her heart, a heart of intercessory prayer for people, a giving heart, a giving spirit. And one day news came that she had cancer in her body. But she had the faith to believe she was going to see her healing. After all, if God heard anyone's prayers, he heard Miss Alexa's prayers. Miss Alexa died of cancer. I remember going to her house 
just before she passed away and seeing her so weak and frail. But you know what you still heard from her mouth? God is good. God is faithful. God is still the healer, no matter what we face in life. I'm telling you, as a young man, though, I struggled with that. Because here's what my, I thought, if anyone deserved to be healed, that was a candidate right there. I thought, man, this world is not such a good place because she's been removed. The lives that she had touched and impacted God, why, why, why? It's amazing that theologians and philosophers have wrestled for centuries with the mystery of undeserved suffering. And no one really has ever come up with a simple and complete solution. But I pray through this month that with the help of God that we're going to bring you the answers that you need. That we're going to shed light upon what can be a great darkness in our lives if we don't guard our hearts. But that we can see through the struggle and the pain of suffering that we can see the hope and we can see God In every situation. Because here's what we've got to realize. As we go on a journey, because that's what we do. Every month we take you on a journey. It's like seasons. We take you through a journey, a time in your life. Because we want to develop you. We want to build you. I believe this is something pressing for where we're at right now. I didn't intend to preach this. But God just really impressed this upon my heart. This is what you need to do this month. And why? Because in seasons in our life, we're going to go through, and maybe that's not the season that you're in right now, but that's why you take notes. That's why you pay attention, because there's going to be a day, if not today, that you're going to need this. But listen to me, if it's not even for you, then it may be for the person in the cubicle beside you. Maybe for your friend, your family member, that you can say, hold on a second, pastor just spoke about that, that you can bring hope and you can bring light to darkness, because God is the light of the world. I said, God is the light of the world. His word is still the illumination and light that will lead us and guide us through any circumstance and situation. So as we go on a journey, what we're going to see is this. Are you ready? Suffering is never God in itself. Now, I said that right. I didn't say suffering is not good in itself. I said suffering is never God in itself, but... God is able to use it for good in a number of ways. God doesn't cause those things to happen, but he takes what happens and he can turn it around for good. James 1 verse 2, he says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I mean, James, you couldn't have talked about something else. The reason why James is talking about this is this is because where we find ourselves most of the times. We find ourselves with opposition. We find ourselves in struggles. And therefore, if James said, hey, just be happy when everything is going good, it would eliminate most of our lives. Hello? But when he's saying if there's a struggle and there's a trial, you got to prick your ears and start listening because every one of us can say, hey, I'm in it. I'm there some way. And James says, but here's the secret. You've got to count it all joy. One translation says, let it be sheer joy to your life. How can it be joy? Why? Because we don't just live in verse 2. We've got to understand verse 3. Verse 3 begins knowing. Come on, say that with me, knowing. The reason I can count it joy through the suffering in the pain is because I've got to know something in this. And that's the tough part, isn't it? 
Isn't it tough to know the right thing when it seems the wrong thing is happening to you? To know the right thing, to still hold on to your faith, it can be hard at times, but you've got to know during the darkest night that God still loves you. Come on, you've got to know the right thing. That's our goal through this series. If you want to know what our goal is as I'm preparing these messages, I said, God, I want people to know you through the greatest struggles of their life and they're going to make it through through knowing you, God, because that's the only anchor that can hold us through any storm of life. We've got to know God. But notice what we've got to know. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You ever read stuff like that and said, well, God, that's really great, but there's not another way that you could have done it. I mean, really, you've got to put me through the tests and the fire. I mean, that's the only way. I mean, God, you created this world and that's the best that you can do. Come on, don't look at me all holy. I know you've been there. I've read your Facebook posts. I've seen your status. I've seen what's going on in your life. And I think many times in my life I've said, God, I've learned the lesson. I'm there. Take me to God. Please, please, please get me where I want, need to be. I was just reading a devotional on Thursday about Rakshak and Benny. You know who Rakshak and Benny are? If you watch VeggieTales, that's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. The Rakshak and Benny. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were the boys that refused to bow to what was wrong but yet stood up for what was right. The devotion goes on to say, is when we compromise our integrity, we don't leave room for divine intervention. If Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had compromised and bowed to that statue, they may have been delivered from the fiery furnace, but they would have been delivered by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and not by the hand of God. And notice this next statement, because I want you to see it on the screen. And it would have been from and not through. It would have been from and not through. You see, if they would have been saved from, they would have forfeited their testimony because they would have failed the test. But as they stood up and said, we're not going to bow, and even if God doesn't deliver us, let it be known that we will not bow, Guess what happened? Their integrity triggered something. It triggered the miracle. (laughs) And as a result, God was able to show up and God was able to show off. God, take me from this. No, God, bring me through this. Knowing, knowing that the testing of my faith, what? produces something, knowing that in this, God has a purpose for it. Notice I didn't say that God's purpose was it. Big difference. But God has a purpose through it. As a result of it, God's not in heaven scratching his head saying, oh my goodness, now what should I do? Come on, God wrought a miracle that day as they went through the fire. And I'm telling you right now, suffering, if God just delivered us out of it, we would not be what God needs us to be. But it's through the pressures and through the fires that he helps us. I know it's hard to say amen today when you're in it. I know that. 
But you've got to know something today, and that is this. That's not the end point, but you're coming through it. Come on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because God, you are with me. Verse 4, but let patience. What is patience? Read verse 3. Be reminded, patience is the byproduct of suffering, of trials, of testing of going through those things. So God says, as a result of those things, I'm doing something. It's having a perfect work that you, 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 you know the one that you feel forgotten because you're in the fire? Look again. He's in the fire with you. He's the fourth man in the fire. And you know one thing, and this isn't my message, so I better be careful, because I could preach this for a whole time. You know, the only thing that burnt up in the fire was the bonds that held them bound. Come on, the Bible says that they were thrown bound into the fire, but Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see four men loose, and they're walking around in the midst of the fire. What are you saying? What the enemy wants to do destroy you, God's going to use to liberate you and bring freedom in your life. Come on, hold on, weeping may endure for the night, but joy's coming. Wow, I'm ready to preach. That you may be perfect. You may be perfect. Do I have any bakers in the house? Any people who like to bake? Steve, you like to bake? Any bakers in the house like to bake some cakes and cookies and stuff? You know what they say if you're a baker? If you want to know if the cake or brownie is ready, there's a test. You take this little metal stick or this little wire thing. Anyone seen those? If you're not fancy enough to have one of those, you can use a toothpick. Come on, you're with me, you're with me, you're with me. And what do you do? You take that toothpick or that wire and you put it right into the middle of that cake or brownie and if you take it out and there's nothing on it it's good it's ready come on we're getting the ice cream ready and we're ready to go but if there's still something stuck to it what do you say it's not ready yet come on what a picture of what God is doing in our lives you can look at the outside and you can say, oh, it looks brown and it looks cooked to me. Come on. You can even take your finger and touch it and it's bouncy and it's springing back. Oh, that looks good to me. But come on, you've got to stick that stick into the middle because God's not interested in how it looks on the outside. God's working on the heart of the inside. You've got to know some things through what appears to be okay. Man, it can spoil the whole day when you think it's ready and you bring it out and you cut into it and you're like, oh man. And you know what happens when it's not ready too? It can be so round and so nice and you bring it out and it's not ready and it just caves in. I'm telling you, you don't want your life to cave in. God doesn't want your life to cave in because when your life caves, your faith goes with it. Read on. But let patience have its perfect work that you. Come on. That you may be perfect, made ready. That you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow, you've got to see this in the context because he's rejoicing over the trials that God says are going to produce something in your life that's going to bring you to a place where you ain't going to lack nothing in your life. We've got to get from the trial to the faith to see the reward. And many of us don't like to go through that process. Suffering's tough. 
Let me say that again. Suffering is tough. Especially when it appears to be the end. But it's never the end with God. Here's what we're going to see, I hope, through this course. Are you ready? We're going to see some major things happen in our life. What we're going to discover is this, that God loves you. What else we're going to discover is this, your suffering is also God's suffering along with you. I said God suffers alongside of you. Because many times God just doesn't simply remove suffering from our life because he oftentimes uses the bad things that happen to bring about a good purpose, a godly purpose in our life. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. (laughs) I don't know if I like this series. Come on. (laughs) Can, Can we do another series? Can we just kind of find something else? Can we go back to where we were? Tell me, if you're kind of feeling today like, wow, I wished he would talk about something different. I'm telling you, this message is for you. This series is for you. Are you ready for our theme scripture? Here's our theme scripture for the month. And I want you to write this down. I want you to memorize this. I want you to take this to heart. It's Romans 8.28, New Living Translation. And it says, and we know. There it is again. And we know. Come on, you've got to know. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to know. You've you got to know. You've got to know that through the sufferings, through the trials and through the pains, it's not always a punishment. You've got to know some stuff. And here's what you've got to know. You've got to know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. You've got to know that God causes everything to work together for good. Don't misread that. God doesn't cause everything. He allows everything, big difference, but he takes the problems, the struggles and the messes of our life and he can cause those to turn around and to work for the good of those who love him. And we know that everything, say with me, everything, that's good and bad. The most horrific suffering that you can face in your life. The greatest joy that you can ever experience in your life. That's part of the everything that God says, I want to work with. I want to work in. Because God says, I want to take it and cause an opportunity for growth and development in your life. And we're thankful at the end, it's just the process that stinks. (laughs) The last part of that verse, how it reads, to his purpose for them. I I think that's a double thought right there. Obviously, God has a purpose for your life, for them, you, that's you. God has his purpose for you, for your life. But I want you to also see that God also has a purpose for them. The sufferings, the adversities, the struggles that will come against you. And again, how does that verse begin? We know. We know. Come on, I know that God loves me. Come on, I said, I know that God wants the best for me. I know God has a plan for me. I know God will bring me through. You don't know how many times I've said that this week after last week. I don't know about you, but I live my messages too. And I've told myself that God loves me, that he has the best for me, that he has a plan and he's going to bring me through. You see, suffering can almost be categorized into three different 
areas or different ways. The first grouping would be what we would call global suffering. It's on a global scale. And we see that which would affect an entire nation or a particular area that we would hear of all over the world, such as a natural disaster, maybe an earthquake or famine or flood. Even terrorism today is in a global attack that we see and we hear of the suffering of these people and our hearts are moved and drawn towards them with that. The next area is what we would call through community tragedies. It's a little bit closer to home. For example, February the 14th, Parkland, Florida. 17 young men and women killed in a high school. And almost daily we read of it and hear of it. Just even yesterday, a coach carrying Canadian junior hockey teams was in a wreck. Fifteen of those athletes killed and many still wounded. Come on, we hear of fatal shootings around us every day, crashes. People's lives that have been affected. But then there's the third area that we call the individual level. And this is where we really live. We live in the community, we live in the global, but yet that's still outside of our house. But this is the one that's in our house. This is the one that puts our trousers on one leg at a time. This is the one that puts our makeup on in the mirror because this is our life. This is where we find ourselves many times in an individual level. And it affects all of us to a greater or lesser extent. Why? Due to bereavement, sickness, disability, broken relationships, unhappy marriages, depression, loneliness, poverty, persecution, rejection, unemployment, temptations, disappointments. Come on, suffering can come in endless varieties and forms and no human being I've ever discovered is immune from them. John 16, 33, Jesus said these words, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. You've got to know me, in me, knowing you will have peace. Because in the world, Jesus said, you're going to have some tribulations. But be of good cheer. Come on, let me see that best smile that you can do today. Come on, let me see if you've brushed and flossed this morning. Come on, be of good cheer, he says. I have overcome the world. I have been victorious and therefore, Jesus said, you can live victoriously. New Living Translation says, but take heart, do not lose hope, don't let go of faith. Know that God can cause everything to turn around Good. I was actually amazed when I began to study for this series that I found that suffering is not a problem for all religions. I was blown away with that. That not all religions would label suffering as being a problem. And here's why. Because Judeo-Christian belief is what we believe. It teaches that God is both, look at this, utterly good and all-powerful. So it believes a totally good God and a totally powerful God. We don't see that in all other religions. They'll maybe focus on one, but very rarely do they have both. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Because he is both utterly good and he is all powerful. 
So if we break them down and we just look at one at a time, what would we say utterly good means? Well, obviously, he wants the very best for our lives. Everyone with me with that? So if we just look at that, we're like, wow, he wants the best. So he's turning everything out for our best. Then if we were just to look at all powerful, we would say, well, he's able then to bring about just the best for our life. Are you you with me? He is able because he's all powerful. Nothing is withheld from him. But the Bible tells us that they have to work together for good. Come on, he's working together for the good. So we've got to take the utterly good God and the utterly powerful God and we've got to begin to think of the situations that we find ourselves in. Why? Because to always remove us or to excuse us or to spare us from those things because he's all powerful and he can do that would not always be... (laughs) One person got it. Would not always be... Good for us. You see, it's not a struggle for God that we think. Because God in his all goodness and his all powerfulness, he has taken those together and working everything for your good. Because the Bible says this about my God. He knows my end from my beginning. He doesn't know my beginning and then my end. He starts at the end and he works Towards my beginning. What does that mean? God sees the entire picture. God knows the plan for my life. We just see the moment that we're in. And God help us because many times that moment that we're in can become a lifetime that we're in. Where God wants it to be a stepping stone onto something else. Many of us are still living in the moment that intended to be a step in the process and the purpose of life. Let me explain it this way. If you were to ask people going into surgery, are you you looking forward to surgery? Most people would say no. After they've come out of surgery, if you would say to them, hey, well, are you enjoying the recovery? Most people would say no. Because you don't want to be cut up. You, You don't want to have stitches. You don't want to be told that you can't do such things for a month. You don't want the pain of that moment. However... The pain of that moment (laughs) far outweighs that sickness that could be with you for a lifetime. Come on, I I can just go through this for a moment because I know my body's going to be free and healed. I I, I don't like the pain. I don't like the surgeon. I I don't like the surgery. I don't like the thought of this or that. But uh, but I like what's on the other side because I want to see my grandkids raised. I want to be able to enjoy life. I want to be fruitful in my life. Can you see? We don't like the moment, but we've got to see beyond the moment and see the life that God wants to produce inside of us. You see, as we look to God's word for answers like we should, we'll see from Genesis to Revelation that there actually seems to be four overlapping answers or insights or knowings, as I want to call them, which we'll begin to talk about and continue through this series to help us to understand why God allows, why is there suffering in this world. And those four areas are this human freedom, That God works through suffering. That God more than compensates for our suffering. And that God is involved in our suffering. He's not removed from it, but he's with us. 
And that's what we're going to be addressing over the next few weeks. And I'm telling you, you need to hang in with us and you need to stay here. Because I believe this is going to be life-changing. I want to talk about the first one today, human freedom. Say with me, human freedom. You still with me today? From the beginning of the Bible, we read a story. Or really, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. It tells a story that any of our questions of life, we can put them into God's Word and we can get the proper context that we need. The problem is when we take God's word out of context or we don't take our questions to God's word, then we're living by our own feeling and we're living by our own way. And that's a lot of struggle. But what we see is in the beginning, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, we see that God created a world where there was no evil and there was no suffering. So here's what we know. You ready? Here's your first no, if you want to put it that way. We know that suffering was not a part of God's original creation. I haven't got time today because it's two chapters long, but read Genesis 1 and verse two, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 when you get home. You're not going to see any suffering. You're just going to see joy, bliss, incredibleness, paradise, the Garden of Eden, what God created. And then if you jump to Revelations to the end of the Bible, We see that God will come back again victorious. That God redeems his bride. He brings us back to him. And in this new heaven, in this new earth, God is going to end all suffering. How do you know that? Revelations 21 verse 4 is just one of the scriptures. And it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things... The things that we used to live through, they have now passed away. They're now dead. They are now no more. New Living Translation says those old things are gone forever. (laughs) Which is great. But there's only one problem. And the problem is this. We're living in the middle. It was perfect. It's going to be perfect. But we're in the middle of all of this. Here's what we need to know. Suffering entered the world only because Adam and Eve sinned. Sin brought suffering into the world. In fact, when God is putting Adam and Eve out of the garden, one of the things he says to them, now you're going to have to contend with weeds and thistles. You're going to have to fight the ground. That which produced, now you're going to have to fight. You're now going to have to harvest. You're going to have to work where before it worked for you. Think about that. That's all part of the curse of suffering that man brought upon this world. Ladies, I don't know exactly what would have happened before they ate of the fruit. But God says now you're going to have to bear children in suffering and pain. I don't know if one day you'd just be going on, whoop, there it is, there it is. Maybe that's where that song came from. Whoop, there it is. Part of the suffering that we are all victim to. Why? Because sin entered the world. Listen to this statement. I love this statement. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to this. Nicky Gumbel, he's a pastor in England. He says these words, suffering is an alien intrusion into God's world. Wow. Doesn't belong. Because God never made that. 
And when you think about things like that, I, I, I'm just know how my mind works and maybe yours doesn't, but that begins to trigger other questions in my mind. And the other questions that I begin to ask in my mind is that if suffering is as the result of sin, directly or indirectly, then why did God allow sin to enter the world? Someone asked me this question once and I thought, wow, that's a good question. If God knew that Satan was going to tempt us, then why did he create the devil? The reality is this, he didn't create the devil, he created Lucifer. Lucifer was the son of the morning. He was the highest of all. He was beautiful. He was perfect in his ways till pride entered into his heart. Sin came in. And as a result of sin, we now know the effect. We now know the enemy that's against us. But here's the answer. You ready? The answer is, why did God allow sin? Why did God allow struggles? And this answer may shock many of you today. But I want you to see it. I want you to read it really clearly. God allowed those things because he loved us. What? He loved us. And guess what? He wanted to give us a free will. A free will for our lives. God loves us. And he wants to give us a free will. You see, here's what we've got to understand about love. Are you ready? Love can only be love if there's a real choice. Listen to me. Love can only really be love if there's a real choice because love is not love if it's forced. Love ceases to be love. Listen to me. Love ceases to be love if it's forced because love has to be a choice that I make. If it's forced on me, I'm going to resist it and I'm going to fight against it. And that's the picture we see from the beginning. God loved us so much, he never wanted to force us into loving him. But he gave us a real choice to choose whether we would love him or not. And you've got to be very careful because Satan says stuff like this. Satan says, if God really did love you. Come on, Satan says, the reason you are suffering is because God don't love you. (laughs) Have you seen yourself? Who could love you? You see how Satan wants to bring the blame on you? And then he wants to turn you against God. And that's where the world is today. Most of the world puts their finger in the face of God and say, all this you did. And God says, no, I didn't do all this. Mankind did all this. But would you see the love that I have? Because underlining all of this is the love I have. God could have made us like a robot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What kind of life is that? But God presented himself in such a way that he gives us the opportunity To see the love that he has for us, that we would accept that love. If you want to know if Satan's lying, if his lips are moving. You don't have conversation with him. Listen to me. God, because of his great love, gave us the choice and the freedom to love him or not. Which unfortunately we have turned around into doubting his love and questioning God. And in this given freedom, what has man done? 
men and women from the beginning have chosen to break God's law. And as the result, we have been suffering ever since. Some people like to jump all over Eve. I've heard people say that. What's up with her? What's she think, eating that fruit? I mean, had everything else. She couldn't have just left it alone. It wasn't just Eve's fault. It was her husband's fault too. Whole other message. But if Eve would have just been the only one that ate the fruit, mankind's seed would never have been destroyed. Why? Because the lady doesn't carry the seed. It's the man who carries the seed. It was when he took of it and ate it that the seed of mankind was destroyed. Remember that. Remember that. But you know what? You can jump all over Eve all you want, but I'm kind of glad she ate of it. I don't like the suffering, but I'm glad for this reason, because I probably would have been the one that would have eaten it if she hadn't. And don't look at me all holy, because I know you would have too. Come on now, don't, don't act all holy on me. I'm glad she did it, because she spared me from being the one that everyone read about. It's Philip's fault. He's the one. C.S. Lewis God really used C.S. Lewis to write incredible books and very close to Christian beliefs. The Lie, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all those things. Christian messages. I didn't say they're Christian books, but there's a message of redemption that we see through those. But C.S. Lewis wrote these words. He said, It would no doubt have been possible for God to remove by miracle the result of the first sin that was ever committed by human beings. But this would not have been much good unless he was prepared to also remove the results of the second sin, the third sin, and so on forever. If the miracle of him removing sin ceased, then sooner or later we might have reached our present situation. If they didn't, however, then this world would have continued underpropped and corrected by divine interference and would have been a world in which nothing important ever depended on human choice and in which choice itself would have ceased from the certainty that of one of the apparent alternatives before you would lead to no results therefore there would be no choice whatsoever if you didn't catch that what he's saying is God could have easily forgiven that but then he would have had to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And then God would have been in control of everything because he would have been the one. And we know that God is in control, don't get me wrong. But it would have been a forced control upon us. And we wouldn't have been free to make those choices and the decisions that we have. You've got to see God's love. We, we see the suffering, but you've got to begin to see God's love. You've got to see God's love because God did not bring about that sin did. But what do we know about sin? Sin has no answer to the love of Christ. His love is greater than any sin that you and I could ever have. What else do we know? Some of suffering that we endure in this life is because of our own sin. The sins that we live in is a result of our own choices. Through our own selfish wrong choices, we have sadly harmed ourselves. And at times, we've brought consequences upon our lives. Because we live in the consequences of those things. It's the consequence of breaking God's law. You see, there's basic laws on this world. There's the physical laws of nature that we see around us. The physical laws of nature pretty much can be explained like this. Already, if I put my hand on a fire, 
It's going to be burnt. That's the law of nature. It's hot. It's there. It's fire. Okay? But what does God put inside of me? God puts an early warning system inside of me. There's a feeling that when I put my hand in the fire, man, I've got to be dumb if I ain't putting that out real quick. Amen? Oh, it's hot. 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 Ow! It's hot. That's a warning system that God puts us. Because God, even in the midst of our wrong choices, He puts a conscience inside of us to know what is right and wrong. What about in moral law? Really, it's God's word. That's the moral law. The laws that this nation, this world are built upon are the laws of God's word. And what we see again is the connection between sin and consequences. What do we know in moral law in this world? Come on, if a person abuses drugs, then they're more likely to be addicted. And that's the consequence to that. Come on, if a person's drinking all the time, alcoholism is going to be a consequence, a struggle. Selfishness, greed, lust, bad temper. What do they lead to? Broken relationships. There's consequences through breaking those laws and doing those things in our life. But notice this also. Here's what we need to know. Suffering is not always due to our sin. It's not always our personal fault. We had a young lady in our church, Miss Leola. Miss Miss Leola sat on the front row many services. Faithful lady here at the church, did everything she could to build the house, had a dance team and school, everything, loved the church. Miss Leola got cancer. And Miss Leola was so terrified to tell some people in her life that she had cancer because she knew what they would say. And while she was sick and dying, we had the privilege to go around and love her and encourage her. But you know who had just come knocking on the door before we were there? Some of those old friends of hers. And you know what they said to her? They said to her, the reason you have cancer is because there's sin in your life. You need to repent and then God can heal you. How does that leave you when your heart is right before God, but yet you still die? Come on, my God, help us. Yes, we can bring things upon our life, but because of sin itself and we live in a fallen state, there's some things in our life that are going to come nigh our dwelling place that we haven't asked for and we haven't looked for, but God can still, in the midst of those things, work. You see, Leola got the greatest miracle that we all long for, and that is now she's dancing on streets of God. Uh, uh, She's not in the middle anymore. She's at the end. she's, She's ahead of the curve with us. But how dare people? And I understand, I understand that there can be chances. Why? Because in John 5 verse 14, we see earlier that Jesus comes to the pool of Bethsaida. There's a man who's been there, I think, 38 years and he has an infirmity. And Jesus comes to him and says, be made well. And he's whole. But the Bible says that afterwards, verse 14, look what it says. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Sin, you have been made well. Sin... No more, lest a worse thing come unto you. I think that's pretty clear in this man's case. I don't know what he was in and what he was doing, but it seems to me like Jesus is saying there was sin in your life that was causing an issue. 
What are you trying to say, pastor? I'm telling you right now, the best thing that we can ever do in our life is have short accounts with God. And if you're in a suffering place right now, I think the best place to always start is God, search my heart. Search my heart. And God, if there's any wicked way in me, clean me out. Come on, that's something I think that can be great through the suffering and through the pain. Why? Because it allows us to deeply search and repent of any sinful attitudes that we may have. So what does suffering do? Come on, here's what we know. Suffering can be a good spiritual checkpoint for your life. God, is there anything in my life? If there's anything that's wrong. But listen to me, just because you're suffering does not mean you're wrong. Start there, please. Salvation has to begin at the home first. In your life first, start always there. Oh, we're quick to point the finger at everyone else. No, God changed my heart first. First, first, first. Here's what we'll realise. Here's what you need to know. You ready? Most of suffering is the result of someone else's sin. Caused by murder, adultery, theft, sexual abuse, unloving parents, drunken drivers, selfishness. The list goes on and on. In fact, people have estimated that perhaps as much as 95% of the world's suffering can be accounted because of the sins of other people. And what happens as a result of someone else's sin, we're living in the consequence. But many of us are living in the consequence and the plan of Satan instead of living in the consequence and the plan of God. Because God can still work and God can still use where you maybe don't even choose to be. Because if any of us had half a brain, we wouldn't choose to be in that place of suffering. But remember, God is both good and all-powerful. And because we live in a falling world where all creation has been affected by sin... In fact, Romans speaks about that. He talks about creation has been subject to frustration. Now I know today that human freedom that we've talked about and the choice that God loves us, it doesn't always answer the question why a person suffers, but it sure explains the origin and where suffering comes from. Because all suffering is the result of sin, either directly as a result of my own, or of someone else's sin, or indirectly just as a result of living in a fallen world. But remember, come on, take hope today. you got to know God loves you. I said God loves you. God loves you and He is still all good and He is still all powerful. And what does it mean when God loves you? What appears to be the end. When you're trusting in God... Come on, you're going to make it through that thing because many times what we think is the end and we can't take it no more. God says that's the opportunity that I have needed to get your attention, to get you where you need to be. It's driven you to your knees. That's the best place that you need to be. And there's nothing that will do that like suffering and the tests and the trials of life. Because when he came to this earth, what did he come to do? He came to be a saviour. A saviour. What does that mean? Number one, to save us from our sins. 
But then secondly, to help us through the consequences of those sins. You see, salvation doesn't always save us from the consequences. I go every month to the prison. Those guys are loving Jesus, but they're still in prison. There's still consequences that we face. But listen, salvation is your eternal life. And God will give you the grace through the consequences and the struggles that you suffer through in your life. God will help you through those. So what have you got to know today? You've got to know that God loves you. And therefore, you've got to know that God will take that suffering and bring about His purpose through it. It's not His purpose that you're in it, because He doesn't cause it, but He works through it. Despite it all, He is greater than. And He takes that and He turns it around for His purpose. As I close... The reality is this, it's not easy. Come on, no, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I'm suffering in life. <laughs> Count it all joy. You've got to remind yourself of that many times. God, can I not learn another way? God loves me. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know. I said, we know. You got to know today that God has an answer for it. And the answer is the love that he has for you and I. We know that God causes, he takes everything and he works it together for the good of those who love him. Love God. I said, it's in the working. It's in the working. It's in the working. Have you ever seen an artist painting a picture and they start with like a dot in the middle and they begin to work? You're like, whatever's that? Whatever's that? But there's at some point in the painting where you begin to see, oh, I begin to see. It's not finished yet, but you can begin to see that. Listen, that's where God wants to get you to today. Because you can look puzzled and say, what is that? But look again, knowing, oh, I see God, your hand is in my life. God, I see your grace. God, I see your strength. God, I see your forgiveness. God, I see your peace. God, I see it. And God, you haven't finished with me yet. But God, I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. The process is not easy. Especially when we just want the results. But God says, if I gave it to you right now, you would not be ready for it. Weeping may endure for a moment, for a night. But come on, God's day does not end like ours does. Come on, ours starts in the morning and ends in the evening. Read in Genesis, the Bible says, and evening and morning were the first day. Why? Because God's day does not end in darkness. God's day ends in light. I don't know what you're going through today but I know he loves you and I know he's your answer. Would you stand all over this place? Come on, if you receive that today, would you just begin to shout amen in the house?